Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, May 4th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited to have this hour with you on Fed Day. It was quite the day and a lot of volatility, and we had a nice oversold bounce. And but that's just one day. And a lot of people get caught up in one day moves. Uh, But what ultimately matters is the decisions you make each and every day, consistently. And to do that, you need the tools. And sometimes the tools are good pieces of software, good data that can you can use to analyze. Uh, But most importantly, is having that framework, that uh, that that mindset that will have you make good investment decisions based on sound rationale, reality, and not emotions. And that's what I'm here to help you do. You're going to answer your, ask your finance and investment questions, and I'm going to give you straight and unbiased answers. So this current market environment is ripe with many pitfalls. I'm sure a lot of you have seen that. There's a lot of companies that have fallen, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90% over the past year plus. And that, that's what happens in the equity markets. There's wild swings in both directions, big sentiment shifts, and often over a short period of times. And guess what? A year is a relatively short period of time. And so you can see how quickly sentiment can shift based on small changes in Fed policy, monetary policy, uh, fiscal policy, etc. So this year is a different year than last year. And this decade is a different decade than last year as well, or last decade, excuse me. And that means you have to change the way you think about the market a bit. But Ultimately, it comes down to understanding companies, understanding asset classes, understanding risks and rewards of whatever you're putting money into. And you need to do due diligence. You need to make sure that you understand both sides. And that's job number one. So many people get into buying a tip 
right? Not tips, but you know, a tip they get from their cousin or their friend, or they read online and they just buy into that particular narrative that they're hearing that weighing, whether that makes sense for their ultimate goals, uh, whether it has the right risk for them in conjunction with the rest of their, their assets, etc. And so it's about seeing that bigger picture. Okay. So I'm excited for this hour to help you build towards a comfortable financial future and financial independence, financial freedom. So on this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So no matter what I'm speaking about, I'm here to present it all without bias, give you the facts as I see them and perspective that I've gained over 20 plus years of investment experience. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions, and you get to shape this show. This show is about you, not about me. I can talk about whatever's on my mind, but most importantly, what is on yours. So call right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time, or you can leave a question on our anytime voice bank. Either way, the number has never changed in the, uh, over 20 years I've been doing Invest Talk. It's still 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, Stephen, Justin. I'm calling in to ask about T. Rowe Price. The symbol is T-R-O-W. I'm looking to get into the stock and wanted to see what the outlook is and your opinion overall and what good entry point would be, too. Thank you. I'll be listening to the answer on your great show. All right. Thanks for the call. This is T. Rowe Price. And this is a big mutual fund provider. At the end of 2021, they had about $1.7 trillion in managed assets, 61% equity, 29% were in balanced funds. So a mix between stocks and bonds and then fixed income were about 10%. So kind of good that they're focused more on equity than fixed income. I think that's that's a positive. But because fixed, fixed income, uh, along with equities, they fell for uh, uh, you know the, the first part of this year first four months until uh, really this month so far. And that has dragged T. Rowe Price down. Uh, And they have a lot of what we call operating leverage, right? If you are taking a fee on the assets that you are managing, that's what T. Rowe Price does. And frankly, that's what we do, right? We we obviously do it more targeted and more uh, as more of a financial advisor, and they're just offering mutual funds. But there's operating leverage there. There's some baseline of cost for your analysts, for your sales team, for offices, all the things that go into running a large organization like T. Rowe Price. And so when asset values go up, well, you're earning similar percentage on a higher asset base. So that's kind of the positive, especially when assets are going up. And I think that will likely um, continue. Uh, And that, that, over the long term, right, asset values are probably going to go up. Now, they're seeing headwinds and, and outflows because most of their funds are going to be actively managed. A lot of uh, money that's flowing is not flowing into actively managed funds. It's flowing into index funds because people are hyper-focused on costs, even though, uh, you know, that's mostly to the detriment. But that's that's the trends that T. Rowe Price is having to to deal with. and And so... What you're getting here is something that's high beta, 
high correlation to the market and extreme correlation to the market. And that's why it's off, let's see, from its 52-week high, about 40% after the bounce today. But you can see it was up 4.76% today. The market was up about half that. And, and so you're going to get a lot of volatility. Now, it is a pretty good value. I do think it's undervalued. And if this is the decade where active becomes more in favor than passive, which I think is a good chance, then I think this is a, a, a probably a good buy, especially at these uh, these lows. So I like T. Rowe Price, T-R-O-W. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. What are the dynamics of the so-called great resignation and will this continue? And there's some data today on the jobs front, the ADP number that came out. And that's starting to show that the tight labor market, well, still tight, is weakening a bit, but we're going to look into the data there. Also, is the crypto market a Ponzi? Well, a recent uh, interview on what's called Odd Lots, which is a Bloomberg podcast. Good podcast. I've listened to many, many episodes. And there's an interview with uh, the founder of FTX, which is a crypto exchange, huge crypto exchange. And he kind of admitted that part of the crypto market was a Ponzi scheme. So does that apply to the rest of the crypto market? We're going to talk about that. Also, how is Russia, or not Russia, how is Europe trying to wean itself off of Russian oil? And who is benefiting in that process? And where are they in that process to try to uh, just eliminate all supply of or, or use of, of Russian oil. And then lastly, how the Shanghai lockdowns are impacting supply chains. We know COVID was uh, a big, big driver of supply chain issues and, and lockdowns uh, all across the world. And Shanghai is kind of the only place left in the world that's uh, doing these draconian lockdowns. And so what impact is that having on uh, supply chains, especially as China is a huge exporter of physical goods? So we're going to look at that as well if we have time. But ultimately, I want to hear from you. 888 chart is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, let's look at the S&P today or the market as a whole. S&P was up 124 points, uh, about 3% or so, a little less than 3%, call it 2 two and a half. And that was on the Fed announcement. Uh, and this is a good example of everyone kind of selling the news, right? There's buy the rumor, sell the news, or sell the news, buy the, or uh, sell the rumor, buy the news, excuse me. And that's kind of what this was, was, oh, the Fed's going to tighten. They're going to raise rates 50 basis points. They're going to announce QT. Well, they did all that and the market rallied. Why did the market rally? Well, there was a question by Steve Leisman of CNBC that, uh, during the press conference said is 75 basis points on the table. And he basically said no. So he took that off the table, although there is now an expectation of 50 basis points, the next Fed meeting in late June, and another 50 basis points after uh, the, the, the following meeting. And that would put the, the Fed funds rate closer to uh, almost 2% at that point. And then where does the economy, what does this company look like? I think in the back half of the year, it's September, there's no meeting. So going into the fall, what does what does that look like? Um, and so I think that is, that's that was why the market reacted so positively was, hey, they're going to slowly, gradually 
build in QT. So winding down the balance sheet, that's going to kick up uh, more dramatically in September. And, you know, I think they'll, they'll, they'll have a lot more data on the economy, uh, which we'll, we're going to dig into a little bit. And you're already starting to see some weakness in the economy, ISM numbers, ADP, uh, jobs report, etc. All of this is looking like the economy has already started to slow with this forward guidance. Uh, now, what was interesting is the dollar weakened, uh, interest rates actually came down today. If you look at like the 10 year and the two year, uh, the 10 year was actually down four basis points today. And so uh, this is a good example of how messaging is most important here. Uh, they've already priced in, the market has already priced in 10 rate hikes by early next year. Uh, and now we've had a total of three. So the kind of pricing in that we're going to have seven more uh, by early 2023. And can the economy handle that? And on top of that, doing QT as well. And they also admitted they can't really deal with the supply problem, uh, oil uh, supply, etc. And that was kind of a mission that, hey, they can only do so much to fight inflation. And so maybe they won't be as aggressive going forward to get inflation down. So that was kind of the summation of what happened today in the markets. Now we have good news for Talk listeners who love to hear unbiased answers at a faster pace. And we have posted a new, new April rapid fire hour, 30 caller questions in a row. So head over to investtalk.com or iTunes, Spotify, Google play, and check out our rapid fire hour podcast. And now the invest talk phone lines are open for you. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hey guys, just want to get your thoughts on Starbucks, ticker symbol SBUX. Looks like the stock's down about 35% off of its highs. Pays a decent dividend. Looking to hold this for long-term, probably 20 years plus. Love to get your thoughts. Thanks. All right. Looking at 
Starbucks. This is a name that was up nicely today, about almost 10%. And it, although it's still off, let's see, from its 52-week high, it's down about 35% even after that rally. And this, I think, all has to do with the fact that it's trading at a pretty hefty multiple compared to its history. Enterprise value to EBITDA is now actually down to reasonable levels, down to uh, the low teens, so that's good. Uh, and so overall, I would say this has corrected uh, well enough, and it would be, uh, I would say, moderately uh, undervalued. Not not dramatically. Our fair value is closer to $90 per share. Now we're at uh, 81 at change today. Uh, and it's a, a consistent you know, cash flow machine and high return on equity, high return on assets. So uh, I'm a fan of Starbucks at these levels, even though it bounced nicely today. Now we're heading into a break and I'm here taking your calls live on Invest Talk at 888 chart. Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888-99 chart. Now, my focus point today is based on a story behind this question. What are the dynamics of the so-called great resignation and can they really continue? Now, the pandemic era trend known as the great resignation is still in full flux. A record 4.5 million workers quit their jobs in March. That was just above the previous high back in November. And this is because people have ample choices and they can find better pay uh, at a lot of other jobs. And there were 11.5 million job openings at the end of March. That was higher than the record 11.4 million in December of last year. Now the ratio of unemployed individuals to job openings also touched a record low, 0.5% unemployed people per job opening. So there's just not enough people to fill these these jobs, and that's why hourly wages are grew 6% in March, the highest level since 1997. Now, demand really increased dramatically when we started reopening the economy, the vaccines started to be widely available, uh, but workers didn't weren't quick to pick up a lot of those jobs. Some were health concerns, uh, others were simply, hey, asset values went up, whether that was their stock portfolio, their crypto portfolio, the equity in their homes, whatever it was, they just didn't feel the need to take up a lot of those jobs. And over 47 million people left their jobs last year, a record, 47 million. Think about that. Our our working age population is about 200 million here in the U.S. So nearly a quarter of our workforce chain left their jobs uh, in, in 2021, and that's a huge turnover, <laughs> okay? And initially, the squeeze in the jobs market was in leisure, hospitality, because a lot of people didn't want to work in those uh, industries. They wanted to switch to maybe more blue-collar work and were sorry, white-collar work and, and trying to sit behind a desk, uh, work remote. And, and I think a lot of people didn't want to go back to some of those those tougher jobs. Now, this has spread, though, to other parts of the, the economy. And 
And I don't think this is changing in the near term, but as the economy slows, which it has been, you're starting to see some cracks in, in the economy and the labor market. Now, a lot of people overblow the weakness in the economy, definitely weakening, but uh, overall, we still have everyone who wants a job pretty much can have a job. And it's hard to have a really bad economy when you have unemployment rates so low. And the ADP number that came out, though, uh, showed for the first time, well, two out of the last three months, small businesses, small payrolls actually declined month over month. This happened actually in February, down 75,000 jobs. And in April, down 120,000 jobs. So those smaller businesses are having a, a tougher time. What's interesting is this more concentrated in the service uh, sector, small business, small service businesses, their payrolls are down 0.37%, whereas small goods producing serv- uh, uh, industries were down 0.29% month over month. So you're starting to see a little crack there. And then just simply the broad ADP payroll number came in weaker than expected to 247,000 net ads. Now we're going to get the, the real data on Friday, but you're starting to see this just a bit, uh, th- this weakness. And on top of that, the ISM report came out today, the services ISM report, and the employment index actually hit contraction. Remember these ISM indices are based on 50 as the baseline. Anything above 50 is growth. Anything below 50 is shrinkage. Now, this came in at 49 and a half. So very, very modest uh, negative growth, but negative nonetheless. And so what this is showing is that the Fed has successfully successfully jawboned the interest rates higher and thus tightened monetary conditions to a point where the economy is is threatening to uh, decline now i don't think that is uh, some sort of crash something to be you know have a huge worry about but uh, these are starting to come in uh coincidental indicators things that are happening today are showing that the economy is weakening and so i think that was another reason why i i think the fed was a little bit dovish compared to their recent talk now let's swing back to the best talk voice bank for a question that came in earlier and the phone lines never close at 888-99-CHART. This is Dave from Minnesota. Um, I've been watching 3M for a little while. It seems like they've bottomed out, and I'm wondering if this is a good spot to jump in. Thank you much. Bye. All right. Looking at 3M. Provides in- industrial tapes, adhesives, medical, and office products. We all kind of know what 3M does. $88 billion market cap. And yeah, the technicals are starting to certainly firm up after this big, big drop down 26% from its 52 week high. But uh, if you go all the way back to, let's see, uh, early last year, it was at 207, now we're at 154, and it really peaked in 2018 around uh, $260 per share. Uh, And it's supposed to make an all time high earnings next year. So I'm actually liking 3M here. I like the the technical makeup that's starting to really turn a corner and the valuation, our valuation is higher. Uh, So about $180 per share now it's at 154. So I'm starting to like 3M at these levels. 
Now we're moving into a break, and I'm ready for your questions now at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. So your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI Red Teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's talk a little about the Ponzi, well, maybe, 
the the crypto market. Uh, this is a really interesting. This was from an interview on the Odd Lots podcast. It was interviewing the founder of FTX, which is a crypto exchange. And he talked about yield farming, which is an alternative to uh, a traditional banking platform. And he just kind of described it as a Ponzi scheme. He said, quote, you start with a company that builds a box, maybe for now actually ignore what it does or pretend it does literally nothing. Pour another 300 million in the box and you get a psych and then it goes to infinity and then everyone makes money, end quote. And the, the Matt Levine, who's the host, said basically, quote, this was so much more cynical than how I would have described farming. You're just like, well, I'm in the Ponzi business and it's pretty good, end quote. And that was kind of a, a stunning admission that uh, there really wasn't a whole lot to uh, this part, of, at, least, at least this part of the, the crypto market, the yield farming. I hear a lot of people, you know, I like, I want to stake my, uh, my crypto and, and I'm going to yield 7% or something like that. And because of the lack of clarity, because of the lack of regulation, there is, there's just a ton of risk there. Uh, cause you don't know really what it's backed by, where that money is actually going. Uh, and are there other, other parts of the market that are that have claims on your assets, etc. And, you know, with the stock market, bond market, you're getting interest payments, you're getting dividends, you're getting things that you can spend on real things. And so far, I think uh, crypto has failed dramatically at its original promise, which was to have an alternative uh, to the, the traditional payment platforms, to traditional banking, uh, and being able to use that in the real world. And so far, it's been pretty much siloed in, in the cloud, in the crypto market. And there hasn't been a whole lot of application to, to the real world. Now, long term, 20, 30 years from now, that certainly could change. But right now, it's really the greater fool theory is it's all about benefiting from a rise in price, not actually cash flow. And I think that when that changes, that's when the market will become more realistic, more viable, more creating actual value for the economy. But right now, if the, the ecosystems collapse, there's nothing really to recover because it's not investing in anything actually real. And that's what I've, I've talked about for a while now is uh, this is the decade for real assets, physical, tangible things, commodities, real estate, energy, etc. And I hearken back to the, 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 the movie, The Big Short. I hope all of you have watched it. It's really good. And part of it talks about how there were lenders that were talking about how they left the income section blank uh, and on a lot of their mortgages that they were underwriting. And they were confused because I think it was a Steve Carroll character who said, why are they confessing? And the response was, they're not confessing. They're bragging. 
And you've kind of gotten to that phase within for a while now in the crypto space that you're bragging about the gains that have been made. And that's not what the investment world is about. It's not about the gains that are made. It's the value that those assets are creating. And the value is people using those goods and services. That's what businesses are, providing a good and service, and that's creating value to the world. And until crypto starts to facilitate the manifestation or the, the, the creation of actual goods and services, then it's just bits in the sky. It's not to say it's never going to get there. But it's certainly not there today. Let's go to Joe in New York looking at AZLAF. Can you tell me more about it? Hey, Justin. So I have a pretty large position in this company because I think it's going to be detrimental to the space in regards to growth. Arizona Lithium, I okay. bought it maybe about two and a half weeks ago. It okay. has a steady climb, but... I'm not taking it at as it is. I'm looking at it maybe in the long-term growth. Do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, let's see. Arizona Lithium, mineral exploration development company. It hoards interest in big sands and Lordsburg projects in the U.S. Uh, in the USA, exploring lithium. Interesting what they what they own here. It does not. Does it have any revenue? It's a very very small company. Very small company, correct. Yes. Uh, Mark cap of 310 million. Doesn't look like they have a lot of debt. Do they have any revenue? Or is this just purely exploration? Barely exploration. Okay. And what what's your thesis on why this is going to be a game changer? So I know recently they're competing with another company that signed a contract with these electric cars in regards to producing all the materials for them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, I will say this: the chart looks decent. It's in an uptrend, making lower high or higher higher highs and higher lows. That's positive. Um, and just the lithium market in in general is is on an uptrend, uh, and. You're, you're right, there is increasing demand for lithium. Uh, but this is extremely high risk. Uh, you have no promise that they're actually going to be able to produce lithium out of those mines. And when they do, is it going to be in a in a good uh, environment to sell lithium? You know, I, I've talked a, a bit about the type of metals that are going to benefit from a more electrified uh electricity electric grid as well as um, our car fleet and lithium is actually pretty low on that list not because of demand but because of supply supply of lithium lithium is very abundant it's basically a salt it's all over the world it's pretty easy to to bring online uh supply response is is pretty quick compared to things like copper which take five to seven years to bring on a new copper mine so could this could this do well? Sure, the chart looks fine. Uh, there's no fundamental 
understanding because it has no revenue. So you don't know really what this business does. You have to know about the mines, how close are they to production or the total uh, uh, amount that they could pull out of this per year out of, out of these mines per year. Uh, and, and all those things would be what I would need to know to be invested in this. So extremely high risk. And, and like I said, lithium isn't uh, near the top of the list of the type of um, areas of the commodities market I would love to be invested in. So be it out for me, but uh, having a small position of your overall portfolio, not terrible. Now let's squeeze in another invest talk caller question that came in from Texas. Yes, this is Mike in Texas. I had a question about Berkshire Hathaway B shares. You can't do anything really without reading an article or podcast or anything without hearing the name Warren Buffett or Berkshire Hathaway. Is it a good investment to buy into Berkshire at this point or any point or is better to look at the individual holdings and look at those as a possible investment. I would look forward to hearing your answer. Thanks. All right. Well, if you're looking to buy Berkshire, it's kind of like buying a mutual fund in, in, in a way, you know, a value type mutual fund, which isn't a bad way to go. But is there better ways? Sure, probably. Um, but it's a simple way to gain exposure to very tangible businesses. So they own ownership stakes in things like uh, Northern Santa Fe Railroad, uh, Berkshire Hathaway Energy, which is a utility and energy distri- distributor. They have manufacturers. They also have uh, obviously Geico, a uh, huge insurance business there. They have some retailers. They own Seas Candy, for example. And then they own, they own a lot of they have stakes in various large blue chip companies. Um, and so that's probably what you're thinking about is, you know, they own shares in Coke and Apple and, and all that. And that's certainly, that's certainly fine. And you can go buy those individual names, but that's not really what you're buying when you're buying Berkshire. That's a small segment of their total assets. The real assets are, like I said, those, those full businesses that they've acquired throughout the years. And is it, good to have in your portfolio. Sure. It's a, it's a fine name. You know, it has con- consistency. Uh, it, it's definitely going to be cyclical. A lot of their businesses are very cyclical and you see all that with their earnings, uh, as, as of late, if you look at the earnings, I think they came out on Friday, if I remember correctly, let's see if I can bring this up here. Where can it be? There we go. Yeah, earnings were only up 4% year over year. That was a sharp deceleration from the fourth quarter, which is up 52% year over year. And they are trading at a higher multiple than uh, they typically have in the past. Enterprise value to EBITDA, or sorry, uh, let's see, let's go price to sales. Price to sales is about two times. Uh, long-term average, it's about in line with long-term average, uh, but the low is typically about 1.2, 1.3. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's probably slightly overvalued at, at this point. Um, but long term, consistent business, well diversified, cyclical, not a huge grower, not going to blow the socks off on the growth side, but uh, going to operate with good cash flow. And but you're not going to get a dividend. If you're looking for a dividend, not the place to be. Now, the second quarter is moving right along. And the fact is the year is a third over one third over it's crazy right we're into may and it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some benefits of working with myself and steve peasley at our company kpp financial 
located in Irvine, California, where we operate with the same philosophy as we do on this show, which is independent thinking and shared success. I wanted to bring you, want to bring you along with uh, the way we we invest and show you how to be successful, uh, especially in this environment where it's not about the stories. It's about real businesses, real assets, and real execution on uh, the right strategies. So we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. And if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting, you can send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial office in Irvine at 800-557-5461. We love to help you in any way. Now, we're heading, uh, moving along. We're going to ask, answer another question in just 30 seconds. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take profits? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, guys. Duncan from New York. Thank you for everything that you do. I just have a quick question between these two stocks. A couple of callers have asked about it, and you guys did a great review. I'm just kind of confused between HP, Helmerk, and Payne, and HPE, which is HP Enterprise. I know, one, HP is a energy stock, and HPE is a kind of like a software hardware stock, too. Which would you prefer in terms of a dividend yield and what would be good for this type of environment? Uh, I'm starting to expand my dividend portfolio and I appreciate uh, all your thoughts. Have a great day. Bye. All right. Yeah. I'm not sure why you're looking at, uh, I know they have similar symbols, but like you said, they're very different businesses. Helmer Campaign is uh, an oil driller and primarily in North and South America. And they were losing money last year, but they've returned to profitability or expected to return to profitability next year. So very highly levered to oil prices. Uh, 2% dividend yield, uh, which is definitely lower than HPE, which is Hewlett Packard Enterprise, not to be confused with HPQ, which is Hewlett Packard, um, just HP Inc., which sells more. Uh, printers and, and laptops and things like that, whereas HPE sells things like um, enterprise solutions, uh, cloud-enabled devices, etc. And this is going to HPE is going to be a steadier business, and it's shown it's grown its earnings steadily, not dramatically, uh, but at a slow pace over the past decade and has high return on equity, uh, around 14% trailing 12 months, 3% dividend yield, whereas Helmer Campaign has a 2% dividend yield, and their business is going to be a lot more volatile. Uh, so if you're owning long-term, I'm definitely gonna go with HPE. It just has better long-term profitability, uh, consistency of that dividend. So I think you talked a little bit about dividend investing, and HPE has a, bigger hist- a better history 
of paying that dividend consistently. Uh, and once again, their, their profitability and their cash flow is uh, more consistent. So if I'm picking one or the other, even though I like oil right now, uh, long term, I'd rather own HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprises. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it now, get your questions in at 888 chart Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Hi, Steve and Justin. Let's see, over the past year or so, you've been crystal clear on your preference towards value stocks over growth stocks, and you've pretty much been spot on. But I'm still sort of conflicted with the fact that it seems like we're at an inflection point in terms of new technologies that are just now being adopted across many different industries like renewable energy and electric vehicles, uh, robotics, et cetera. So I guess my question is, when do you think that growth might become favorable again? And which industries do you expect to grow the fastest in the near future? Thanks for what you do. Appreciate the show. Bye-bye. Well, let me start off with a couple things. You're correct that we are seeing a lot of technological change driven by uh, some government kind of pushing for uh, a green revolution. And and I'm not here to argue whether that's good or bad, but that's certainly uh, the case. And there's obviously a lot of other innovation with the cloud software, et cetera, that's uh, making our world more efficient. And a lot of those companies that are leaders within those sectors are public companies. But just because there's growth within an industry does not mean that that is a great investment. I always use Cisco as a great example. Cisco, uh, if we go back to a monthly chart on Cisco to the dot-com bubble 1.0, uh, the price hit a peak of $82 per share, 82 and change. Today, Cisco sits at $51.58. So it still has not reached its previous peak back in 2000. Why? Because it was drastically overvalued at that time. And though Cisco has continued to grow its business over the last two decades consistently. And it's now actually probably call it a, a value stock because it produces consistent cash flow. It doesn't have huge revenue growth. Um, but just shows you that the price you pay is just as important as the longer term growth that you are, uh, the, the company's going to experience. And so over the past 14 years, up until really uh, beginning of last year, growth had outperformed. Why? Because interest rates are very low, multiples expanded, and liquidity was very loose. Liquidity is abundant. And so many companies, and you're seeing that now with you know, the Pelotons of the world, for example, were growing their revenue base dramatically, but they were doing it uneconomically. The only reason that they were in business and they were growing their 
their revenue was because they were able to issue more shares uh, because liquidity was abundant and they weren't actually growing their business in an economical in an, in, in a economically positive way for shareholders the consumers were basically getting uh, that value not the investors and so when liquidity starts to tighten up which it has uh, over the past year or so you start to see as Warren Buffett says, when the tide goes out, you see a swimming naked. And you're starting to see a lot of those companies that have been swimming naked, meaning they've been hiding behind revenue growth. And now they have to pivot towards actually producing a profit. And that's become a lot more difficult to justify the valuation to shareholders. Uh, and so that's why you've seen a lot of these names down 60, 70, 80, 90%. Um, so when will that inflection point be okay it's a good time to buy uh, growth stocks there's a, there's already companies within the growth side of the market that are becoming interesting and in valuations that are at least reasonable um, but still the majority of them are overvalued uh, so you know it's going to ebb and flow and it's not to say you get rid of all your growth names there are like I said good values out there uh, in, in some of them, but that's not where the the gains are going to come from for the most part this decade. It's going to come from cash flows and dividends and real assets. Okay, so hope that give you an understanding of kind of the, the dynamics that are that are playing out in markets, and that's why you never want to be dogmatic one way or the other. You have to be flexible, uh, but you also have to be real and understand when you're overpaying and still with the growth side of the market, there's a lot of people overpaying. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find over iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.